WNBC. It's raining Jimbo's from out in the sky. Jimbo's, no need to ask why. Just open your wallet and close your eyes. It's raining Jimbo's. It's raining Jimbo's out in the street. Hello and welcome back to We've Never Been Clicked. This is Cuppy Cup. And today I am joined by Jay Arnold, as always. How's it going, Jay? It's going great. How are you doing today? I am wonderful. Thank you for asking. And we are also joined by Jimmy Guards. And you may have noticed Jay has a microphone now, which puts Jimmy on the hot seat to get, get a microphone as well. But how are you, Jimmy? Howdy, boys. I'm old school. I do it through a ham radio. Uh, not one of those fancy P-sips. So good to be here. <laughs> I'm sorry to shame you right off the bat, but I felt like that was, that's the best motivator, is it not? Oh, we love shame. I love shame cultures. <laughs> Which is why we're all on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so fall camp starts this week. Uh, Jay, you said it starts Thursday. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe August 2nd is the actual start date of fall camp. All right. So fall camp starts August 2nd. Jay, you're actually going to be covering fall camp, if I'm not mistaken. Do you want to drop another plug for your new site? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, we're still going through all the details. We haven't officially launched yet, but uh, over at the other 98, we're planning on covering A&M football and fall camp. You're already ahead of Good Ball Hunting, where we're not even planning to cover A&M football. <laughs> Jimmy, I don't, I don't mean to speak for you, but I imagine that, that you're in the same camp as I am in that I don't, I don't really understand what goes into gearing up for fall camp from a player's perspective. And since, since we have the opportunity to pick your brain on this, Jay, could you give us a little insight? Yeah. Uh, fall camp is easily the worst part of being a college football player. Nice. <laughs> what are the top three worst things about it? I, I would say the, the, just the schedule. I mean, you're constantly at the uh, facilities doing one thing or another uh, just the, the beating your body kind of takes going through it. And then just, uh, kind of the monotony of it really. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's, uh, I was gonna, I was gonna ask about leaning into fall camp. You know, we, we always hear rumors on the internet or the media or whatever. There's like the official unofficial practices or, or workouts, or you gotta be hitting the weights. Um, through the summer, but coaches can't be there, that type of stuff. What sort of things are guys doing so that when they show up at day one at fall camp, uh, nobody dies? So you go through the summer workouts all summer, uh, and then right before fall camp starts, you usually get like a week off to vacation. Uh, my advice to players is to not actually vacation and to just keep working out during that time. Uh, because coming back from vacation and going straight into fall camp, it's kind of brutal, but they, they do kind of try to ease you in, uh, to camp. I mean, you don't start off hitting right away, which is good. Uh, you, you get more time to actually, uh, just do small technique stuff and not full on tackling drills. Nice. How much of it is outside versus inside? You're definitely doing most of it outside. Uh, all that great college station heat and humidity, it's, it's wonderful. You know, you get to sweat through it. Uh, make sure you drink a lot of water uh, so you don't, you know, really have problems. 
Do you just like sleep in a sandbox full of gold bond? Uh, no, I actually just, you go sleep in an ice tub because that's the only way you'll get numb enough to sleep. You're in so much pain the whole time. Mm. During and after all this, you get to log on to your, your social media account for some release and you're just being berated by fans. Yeah. People, people getting mad at you for either coming in underweight or overweight or sometimes both at the same time because they don't really know what you're supposed to weigh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jay, is, uh, when, when, with someone, the team, if I'm uh, not mistaken, during fall camp or at least a couple weeks of it, the team stayed on campus, correct? Uh, no, you don't actually uh, have to stay on campus, but there it will be sometimes that people just kind of like crash at the facilities because it's literally too much effort to get in the car and drive home. I think the analogy for me would be, it's like how I feel if I have to clean out my garage. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That hard. That's a fair analogy. That, and also the fans are really excited about this new strength and conditioning coach, Jerry Schmidt. And it made me wonder, have the fans ever not been excited about the new strength and conditioning coach hire? Not that I know of. For me, strength and conditioning coaches, uh, I mean, literally any coach that comes in is going to have an intense workout plan at the college level. It's, I, to me, it didn't, I don't feel like it makes too much of a difference. But, you know, I'm, I'm not the expert on that. So uh, the, the Internet is the expert, Jay. That's true. I, I forget about that. I remember, and I'm gonna I'm gonna date myself a little bit, but I remember as a student uh, during the Fran years, it was considered revolutionary. I mean, I've been hearing about strength coaches, you know, for the last 20 years. I don't know how many A and M's been through in that time. And Cup's exactly right. Like the buzz around a new strength coach is just it's off the charts. Um, they can do no wrong until, you know, November rolls around and, and some uh, third string running back piles up 300 yards on the defense. But um, the Fran years, there was one season where I think the, the new strength coach and Fran came up with this um, branding concept. They put it on T-shirts called No Soda, No Gut, which yes. got handed to Fran. That's pretty damn clever. And I like how this was like cutting edge uh, science and really getting down to the nitty gritty of nutrition to realize that drinking soda does make you fat. <laughs> yeah, the cutting edge stuff for sure. No soda. How much? Like, how much is your nutrition monitored now? I mean, A and M does have a great nutritionist on staff, but his focus is more on the guys that need to gain weight or the guys that need to lose weight. So if you're kind of somewhere in the middle there, uh, you're, you're not going to get as much of a tailored meal plan. Jay, what was, uh, what was your playing weight um, during your time at A&M? And when you came into fall camp, uh, how close were you to that, that weight? Did you ever have to do a big gain or a big cut? All right, so this is a pretty fun question. My freshman year coming into camp, uh, I spent most of the summer trying to gain weight because they were switching me in between tackle and defensive end. Uh, so I, I came into camp about 275. Uh, but I, since I was playing defensive end more at the end of the year, I dropped down all the way to 255. Then for my sophomore year, 
I was pretty much only going to play defensive tackle. So I got up to 285 and like midway through the season, I got as high as 300. Uh, and during that time I was definitely trying to put on weight. So when you're trying to put on weight, what's your, what's a normal like breakfast, lunch, dinner, when you're trying to gain weight, when you're that big and you're having to work out and it's hotter than shit. Uh, the the big thing for me that helped me gain a lot of weight was just carb loading for every meal. Uh, basically just getting a lot of protein, but then also making like sandwiches in between meals. Just so I could get that bread and get that those carbs in and really pump the weight up. Cause I, at that point I didn't need to be, I mean, we're, we're college football players. We don't need to be chiseled on the D line. Uh, and so I just tried to get on as much weight as I could in order to really be able to stand up against the the schedule and uh, the big offensive lines that we were playing against. Nice. That's what I do on a day-to-day basis, pretty much. <laughs> just snack on sandwiches. The, the real problem I've had is that now that I'm out of college, uh, no longer trying to eat like I'm playing defensive line. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, well, maybe maybe when you go up to fall camp, they'll let you run some drills. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping the coaches will let me just go out there and uh, I can I can just go ahead and do a hundred decline abs for for old time's sake. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm I'm, ho- I'm really hoping that we can. Um, I don't know if it's stealing, but you know, getting your insights from fall camp without actually sending someone from Good Bull Hunting. Yeah, I think we might be able to work out a little little plug and play system there. And just so that we we have everything on the table, we are not welcome at fall camp. I wasn't I didn't mean to imply that that we could go if we wanted to. Oh no, we're not welcome at all. I don't know, I don't see why they wouldn't want y'all there. I I can tell you exactly what the company line on fall camp is going to be because the traditional media is all going to say the same thing. Team's looking fast. The young guys are really stepping up. It's a whole new tone with Jimbo Fisher, new commitment to defense, uh, (laughs) a new level of intensity. Oh, they're going to love the no music in practice. They're going to harp on that about how great that is. So. You know, it's going to be pretty predictable. No one ever is like, God, these guys look like shit. They're out of shape. <laughs> no one wants to be here. <laughs> we we would be writing articles about what the coaches wore every day <laughs> rather than anything, <laughs> anything happening on the field. Sloppy, sloppy. I'm not going to lie and say I'm looking forward to fall camp, but it does mean that we're closer to the season. So that's nice. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. I'm ready to get some actual football played again. And speaking of not playing football, uh, we, we've been covering Johnny Manziel at a consistent clip. I think just because putting his name in the podcast title yields like 50% more listens. But uh, it, there was some controversy around uh, Johnny's debut with Mike Sherman's Montreal Alouettes because he did not enter the game in a blowout loss. So it was kind of like old times with Mike Sherman where the fans were uh, really getting on his case. Did you, uh, did you watch the game? I know a lot of Aggie fans were upset that they watched and didn't get to see Johnny. Look, I, I chose not to watch it because I, I don't want to have any bad memories added. I got to play with Johnny and that was, 
an incredible thing to watch, and I'm I'm going to be satisfied with that and not watch unless he gets on a team that has a fully functioning offense. That's a totally fair comment. Uh, I just saw photos from the game. I was unable to watch. Uh, I realized that the Montreal Alouettes have the exact same uniforms as the Kilgore Rangerettes. So, uh, A plus on the aesthetics. Uh, you look like a East Texas uh, drill team or whatever um, those are called. Uh, yeah, they're playing the, the uh, uh, Tiger Cats next week, so maybe Johnny will get a chance at a little bit of revenge. But uh, I mean, come on, Canadians, this isn't real football. Like Sherman, like you got to play the guys. It, these are basically scrimmages. No one actually cares if anyone wins, right? Like, so give the people what they want. <laughs> I mean, it's like. It, you know, it's, it's, um, it would be like, oh, I don't know, French Canadian WWF wrestling, you know, like let's script something out where Johnny can, uh, Johnny can make some moves, make some memories. Now, Jimmy, you defended Mike Sherman last week. So I'm going to, I'm going to take that mantle this week. And, uh, Johnny hasn't played in like a thousand days and he had one practice. So, I mean, isn't there a pretty good chance he could get injured out there? Look, I'm guessing they don't have playbooks, you know? They, they just draw <laughs> it up in the sand. Uh, you know, Johnny, Johnny can outrun all these guys. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just fucking around here. I, I don't know how Johnny could go out there with these guys who have been playing nonstop to not play a professional sport for a couple of years and then just, like, get back out there uh, in live games. That's a, uh, it's a tall order. If anybody can do it, it's Johnny though. Yeah, I agree. I mean, just his style of play, everything that he's able to do, he's such a great improviser. It, it makes you think that even without fully knowing the playbook, he would be able to get out there and make things happen. And there was a, you know, to the extent you can have one for the CFL, there was a, a mini Twitter roast, uh, on Mike Sherman for not playing Manziel. And uh, I Sportsnet compiled these as sports sites love to do, compiled these tweets. So I'm just going to read a couple of them. Uh, we aimed to read these in a automated French Canadian accent, but we just couldn't pull it together because the, the Houston Axe Society sponsorship didn't come through yet. So let me, uh, and some of these people have Canadian sounding names like Mark with a C Dumont. Uh, he mm. tweeted that they're keeping Ma- <laughs> keeping Manziel fresh for the fifth quarter. Um, <laughs> this, they've got fresh takes uh, in in Montreal. Jim Mullen, uh, in response to Mike Sherman's quote, Mike Sherman said, "I think once you start listening to the fans, it's not long before you become one." Which that kind of <laughs> brought back memories of Mike Sherman <laughs> at A and M. Sherman quote. <laughs> That's got to be his best quote of all time. The, in response to that, Jim Mullen said, disinformation served up to the customer, then contempt for them when you don't live up to your word. A brilliant way to engage the paying customer. <laughs> That's such a Canadian response to being called out. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like a, a polite call out, though. Usually, you know, NFL fans just tell you to fuck off. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Canadians seem to have a more highbrow approach to uh, <laughs> criticizing coaches. 
yeah, that was a fire yeah, take by Canadian standards. Like that was that was from the top rope. That that guy definitely apologized for tweeting that later. Sorry. The other funny thing about this article, which is from a Canadian sports site, is that it's all like tweets from Canadian people and Aggies. You can see some of their <laughs> screen names are Fort Fort Worth Aggie Seven says after after Edmonton scored on a QB sneak, he said, "How about you sneak Manzel into the game?" Oh. <laughs> then it was. Uh, uh, they call the Alouettes the Owls, by the way. So if you want to fit in with the, the Montreal fans, uh, you call them the Owls. That's it's it. a great Paul Simon reference. You can call them Owls. That's right. <laughs> Damn. Dig them out. I always miss the good. I always miss the good jokes. That's why. That's why we keep you around here, Jay. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here <laughs> you, every night. That reminded me. Last week you talked about the, um, the. The French Canadian nursery rhyme, or maybe it's just a French nursery rhyme. I don't know. Um, the Alouetta one, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. The I looked that up, and it, I actually know the song. I just never, I, I didn't put it together. Maybe because I say Alouette in the songs Alouetta, <laughs> and uh, but the, I looked at the English translation of the lyrics, and it is very disturbing. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a bit awkward there. I'm going to pluck your head. Yeah, it's sounds, like sounds great. It's like I'm gonna pluck your eyes out. Gonna pluck your neck. Gonna pluck your legs. Very controversial. Although I do, uh, I have a toddler, and I realize that at least fifty percent of nursery rhymes are are incredibly disturbing and full of death. Yeah, like uh, what is it? Ring around the rosy is like a. Reference to the Black Plague. Oh yeah, they the wiggle <laughs> the wiggles updated that though. Now instead of ashes, ashes, it's a tissue, a tissue. Oh. Okay, so now we just cry for the dead instead of uh, burning them. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Anyway, so we'll when Johnny actually plays, we will uh, talk as though we watched it based on tweets that we read. So you can look forward to that in uh in coming weeks that's what we refer to in the business as secondhand coverage (laughs) sorry that was my french canadian laugh yeah (laughs) that was really good jimmy if you had a a real microphone i think it really would have come through with that kind of haughty you know breathy french thing oh give me another cigarette Oh shoot. The uh the next I know, you know, I don't think any of us have a great love for recruiting coverage. Although Jay, maybe you shouldn't admit that since you're starting with a new website. Um well, I'll cover the team. Well, I'll cover them once they get to campus. I try to avoid recruiting for the most part. Yeah, and we do too, but there was a story I thought was kind of interesting. Um so Jeffrey Carter is a a four-star cornerback. Uh, I think he's a Texas kid. Uh, he was supposed to go to Oklahoma on Saturday, and he tweeted that his dad had a nail in his tire, and they had a complete flat, so he couldn't make it to uh, to Norman. And then three hours later, he tweeted out a, a Texags video. They had their like professional video team shoot uh, uh, a yeah, commitment video 
and he committed to Texas A&M three hours after the the nail in the tire. So obviously the OU fans just got furious and the A&M fans were like rubbing it in their faces. Uh, And then the funniest part of the whole thing, I think, is a website called Heartland. They cover the Big 12. And the title of the article is four-star cornerback Jeffrey Carter exemplifies everything wrong with recruiting. And it's this article (laughs) from this this website that covers recruiting about how he probably, they didn't really uh, say that he definitely lied about the nail in the tire, but they, they're, they're certainly uh, concluding that, that he was probably lying about the nail in the tire. And they're saying that, you know, he's like, you know how uh, recruiting is like full of uh, sanctimony and, you know, there are all these things as a player you can't do or everybody gets pissed off. And I just thought that that we could get some takes on on this the the recruiting site getting mad about the ethics of the student athlete. Yeah, there's nothing better than being mad online, uh, but in this case, it's it's just kind of weird to me as a site that covers 14 to 18 year old kids that you're gonna get mad at one for not being completely honest. (laughs) And I also think that even though this is a big 12 site, I believe the owner is an OU person. So I think that there may have been a little extra salt on, you know, getting excited that this kid was coming to the barbecue, you know, everything's a barbecue or a pool party now. Um, So, and there were all these jokes about, you know, Jimbo Fisher spreading nails across I 35 and, uh, and silly things like that. But this this guy was legitimately pissed off that uh, that this kid may have lied. Um, when if you think about how this business works, like everything about it is kind of creepy and weird and dirty and underhanded. So I just found the whole thing you know, kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, see, I don't think Jeffrey Carter actually lied. I think he just kind of misspoke what he actually meant to say was that he put the nail in the coffin of OU's recruiting efforts. <laughs> that's, nice. where, that's where the nail came in. A little bit Very of a stretch, nice. but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it. Yeah. Hey, how rich is it that o- OU tries to take the moral high ground on something related to uh, the cleanliness of a program or recruiting? Um, yeah, I mean, come on. Even if... Even if uh, this kid Scooby, whatever his name is, uh, play you know did a little bit of a lie. I mean, are we to think that coaches never lie, that recruiting coordinators never lie, that these websites that handle these kids never lie? I mean, it's all it's all just a bunch of like grubby, disgusting playing with kids who aren't going to be punching a paycheck, uh, cat and mouse, and uh, so yeah, it's always hilarious when someone takes the moral high ground in recruiting. Like there's some sort of uh, code of ethics to any of this. When in reality, it's all just like it's the sleaziest game uh, uh, that no one really ever wants to expose. Because if they did, then they would have to probably expose the stuff of the school they love the most as well. And in this episode, we talk about how much we love college football. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love it. And then, I, I, I was going to go save him further, though. I was like, 
this isn't like new. The, the, the author of that piece acted like this is some new generational thing. I'm like, dude, read up on the Southwest Conference. Eric Dickerson took a car from A&M and <laughs> went directly to SMU. You know, this is this has been going on forever, and it's uh, I think it adds a you know it's a unique flavor to the sport we do love. And the the villain is always the person who's not getting paid, which which is kind of ridiculous in its own right. <laughs> yes, and that's why I I try to ignore most of the. Uh, like inner workings and business aspects and just watch the game, which is why I co-manage a blog on college sports. (laughs) Oh goodness. Well, hopefully that'll be the last time we cover recruiting until national signing day, unless something else ridiculous happens. Um, But there was, I, I don't want to talk about this, but I feel like it would be a disservice to both of you if we didn't talk a little hockey tonight, because one of our listeners actually asked a hockey question. Does anyone have that pulled up? Yep, I do have it pulled up right here. Uh, Kyle Mays, K Mays 10, sent in a question, and he wanted to know Jay and Jimmy's thoughts, not yours, Cuppy, <laughs> on bringing an NHL team to Houston. We could talk about the expansion uh, or relocation and then the team name. Kyle Mays is the most Aggie name I've ever heard. <laughs> That is actually pretty incredible. The stadium and the business <laughs> school. Jimmy, do you want to kick this off, though? I'd be happy to. So to give uh, a little history on myself and then hockey winding up in uh, uh, warm climates, I grew up in Colorado, played hockey my whole life, still playing a terrible uh, beer league of has down here in Houston now. And... Um, there's no Texans on my team. It's all these Canadians that uh, moved down to Houston, work in oil and gas, and uh, I guess from other parts of the country, just people who have relocated. But uh, I've also lived in Dallas, and Dallas is actually kind of the model for why hockey could work in Houston. Uh, this all started actually when Wayne Gretzky was traded from the Edmonton Oilers to the Los Angeles Kings back in the early 90s, and uh, we can basically thank Gretzky now that there's franchises in Phoenix, Dallas, Nashville, uh, Florida, um, all throughout these regions where hockey hasn't been traditionally played, uh, at least at the NHL level. um, There's always kind of been some minor league hockey here and there um, for people to get drunk and go watch fights. But – Dallas did it right. So they got the Minnesota North Stars, I don't know, like almost 30 years ago, I guess, which is hard to believe. And they knew to grow a fan base, they were going to have to invest in youth hockey. They were going to need kids in Dallas, the Dallas area playing. And so uh, now Dallas has ice rinks all over the place, and they're they're nice. They're all kind of connected by the same business structure and um so over the last 30 years they've really grown the youth game uh, when i was growing up we started out playing teams from dallas and they were terrible there was all these rich kids with nice gear that we beat 10 to 0 and then by the time i was graduating high school now all these good kids are coming out of dallas so all that to say is it could work in houston i'm sorry for uh, a little more context uh, than is necessary and 
if Tillman Fertitta was the owner, I think he would do an exceptional job because sports now has become such a, it's more about the spectacle than even the game. So even if you didn't like hockey, if you created this um, just event, it would be, I think, a huge hit for Houstonians. And if they're a winner, even better. I mean, look what happened in Vegas. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, it was crazy to think that an NHL team would work out in Vegas and they were the story of the year uh, this past season in the NHL. So I think Houstonians would really latch onto it. I mean, it's uh, Houston is primed to become the third largest city in, in the country. So uh, they should be able to carve out their own niche and their own fan base here. So, um, Jay, I'll open up to you, and then I have uh, I've done some brainstorming on what I think the name should be, but I want to hear your thoughts. Houston isn't a traditional uh, hockey climate, but I think even now you you have kids that are that are coming out of certain schools in the in the Houston area, the Woodlands, uh, to name a few. That you have kids that are trying to play hockey, and to if they actually did follow through and get a get a team down here. I think they would invest in the in the youth programs, and uh, it could really explode the game. I mean, you got, like you said, it's the third largest city, uh, poised to become the third largest city in the nation, and there's no reason for it not to have a hockey team down here. I think it would do incredible in this market, and I would really love to be able to attend some NHL games here. Now to the important thing. What are you going to call the damn thing? The most logical fit wouldn't be available. Uh, there's a, the Edmonton Oilers already exist. Uh, I was thinking it would have been so cool to have the Houston Oilers and have a hockey team wear those powder blue and red uniforms. Uh, basically a nod to the football team, but put it on ice. But that won't work. Uh, the other historical nod that would never happen now is I think the Houston Colt 45s would be awesome in hockey, but now everybody's afraid of talking about guns. I mean, the Washington Bullets had to change their name to the Washington Wizards, so um, don't think they'll be able to do that nod to awesome Houston history. So some of these are kind of serious or actual actual ideas, like the Houston Buffaloes, like nod to the Buffalo Soldiers, Buffalo Bayou the Houston Aces, the Houston Drillers, uh, the Houston Hustlers for uh, Hustle City, and then maybe my two favorites that would be totally tongue-in-cheek and totally unique would be the Water Moccasins and the Mud Bugs. Wow. You put <laughs> some thought into that. See, I, I was just thinking that Houston should go with the uh, the name of that minor league team and just – be the Houston Arrows, stick yeah. with it, give it some continuity. I like that too. And they're actually, there's some nice uh, history with the Houston Arrows. Gordy Howe played for them. Ever heard of him? I think he's kind of a big deal. Some of our listeners may not know uh, of the Gordy Howe hat trick, which is when a player has a goal, an assist, and a fight all in the same game. Uh, I obviously know nothing and care nothing about hockey but I did think that an appropriate name would be to find something that is about being like cold on ice, but also being related to energy because we're in Houston. So I think it should be the Houston Freon. 
<laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> That's it. I don't even have a backup. I think Freon's the way to go. <laughs> We're the most air-conditioned city in the world. I love it. I love my own name that I just came up with. <laughs> Hopefully they'll put it to a boat. It's rain and jimbos. It's rain and jimbos. Rain and jimbos. Rain and jimbos. Yeah. Beat or miss, please. <laughs>